Amos chapter 9. I asked someone last night about today. I said, we've got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear? And they said, well, I start with the bad. And I said, we're finishing Amos. What's the good? We're finishing Amos. And I'm going to tell you, this has been a good lesson for me as your pastor to dig into because I've learned things about this prophet that I did not know. And I hope that you can say the same thing over the past eight weeks. We've learned some things about the prophet Amos that have helped us in this thing called the Christian life. The title of the series was entitled, The Lion Roars. And we're referring to that lion as the Lord Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And so far, we've looked at judgment and we've looked at grace. And when you come to chapter 9, the last chapter in this book, we recognize that it's fourfold. There are four affirmations that take place in Amos chapter 9. Three of them are of judgment. And I want a big amen when I give you this fourth one. Are you ready? Daryl, are you ready? The fourth one is about mercy. And aren't you glad this morning for the mercy of God? Because, folks, let me tell you something. Let's make sure we understand that heaven is not the default location for people. The Bible says we're separated from God because of sin. You know, God created Adam and Eve to live forever, but sin breached the gap. It breached the covenant. And because of sin, we're separated from God. So when we're born, we're not automatically going to heaven. Heaven's available, but it's not automatic. You see, sin separates us from God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. And if that were the end of the verse, we're in trouble. But it's not. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this morning, if you're grateful and thankful for grace in your life, say amen. So we begin uh, jumping into the last chapter as Amos wraps it up. And the Bible says in verse 1, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. When I, when I think of an altar, I think of a place of worship. I think of a place of worship. And the Bible says, and he said, strike the doorpost that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. And I will slay the last of them with a sword. And he who flees from them shall not get away. And he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. So in this prophecy, Amos sees the Lord standing by an altar. And we get some scenes that help us understand what's taking place. The Bible says, he is to strike the doorpost that the thresholds may shake. Thresholds, that's, that's an interesting word. How many of you, when you were married, Doug, Teresa, when you were married, how many of you carried your bride across the threshold? 
Are you kidding me? That was tradition in 1983. I remember it well. I, I, I had an apartment. I moved in five weeks before we got married. Uh, and I remember when we got back from our little honeymoon, which wasn't much of a honeymoon, and and I remember getting to the apartment, and for the first time, Renee and I would live together as husband and wife, and I remember the threshold, and I remember jumping into her arms as she carried me in. <laughs> A threshold is something you cross. And for some of you, you might be at the, th- the greatest threshold of your life. Listen, this morning. You say, what do you mean, Brother Greg? Maybe some of you are ready by faith to step and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, you you believe, you hear about him every week. You believe what we sing about. You believe the word of God. You recognize the Bible says we're sinners separated from God. And maybe you're at that point in your life. Today's the day of salvation. Maybe you're ready to take that step of faith. Or maybe some of you are here and you're saying, you know what? I'm a Christian, Brother Greg, but I'm just not living a fully surrendered life. I mean, I'm just not living as if the Lord is king of my life. Remember how we use a chair sometimes? If this is the throne of my life, you can't be sitting on the throne. If he's the Lord, you've got to submit. You've got to surrender. And you've got to live for him. Some of you might be right there, ready to take that next step of faith. Maybe you're here today, you've never given your, or you've given your life to Christ and you've never followed in believer's baptism. You say, Brother Greg, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. You're right, but here's my question to you. Why in the world would you not want to be baptized as a Christian? Nothing to be ashamed of. I get it. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, it just scares me. I'm afraid of it. I understand that. But I can assure you, we'll take care of you and help you with that. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I was baptized when I was younger. Or maybe you're here, I was baptized as a baby. My parents baptized me as a baby. If I were to be re-baptized, that would be disrespectful to my parents. Now, let me tell you something. If your parents dedicated you when you were a baby, that really was a service about them raising you and also signifying that they loved you. They loved you. But make sure you understand baptism should always be on the right side of salvation. You baptized after you saved. Amen? Well, thresholds are a big deal. And in this picture, he says, strike the doorpost that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. So if this is a picture of worship, he's saying we're going to destroy even the worshipers. Boy, that's hard to understand. Now, most, most likely, this is not the temple in Jerusalem. And here's why. Amos was sent to the northern kingdom. The Babylonians destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 52, he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. It was destroyed by fire. You see, the Bible says, I saw the Lord standing at the altar. Now, folks, we have to get back to this. A lot of times when you come in here to worship, you view the front as the stage. It's the stage. Well, I want to remind you of something this morning. It's at the altar where God does some heart surgery. 
It's where he gets our attention. Oftentimes, it's a place of brokenness. Oftentimes, it's, it's a point of, I, I don't have anywhere to turn. I, I don't have any, anything else to offer. I am in desperate need of a fresh work in my life of God. Now, some of you have never been to the altar since you gave your life to Christ. Sometimes we joke about people who continually come to the altar. I want to I listen to me. That is no joking matter. I pray that God would give us a sense of brokenness like we've never had, and we would respond in kind of humbling ourselves. Listen, regardless of what anybody thinks. Now, when I was your young pastor a long time ago, I was worried about what you would think. In love, I do not care what you think now. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. If I'm on the back nine of ministry, listen, church, I love you more than I've ever loved you in my life. God has blessed us. We sing that song, Goodness of God. How can we not sing that and thank God for how good he's been to us? But now we know each other better than we've ever known each other. We love each other more than we've ever loved each other. And we've got to come to a point of just getting honest with God regardless of what somebody else thinks. Now, I get notes from time to time of you telling me how to do things. I appreciate that, but I'm not going to just react to your complaint. We're going to try to serve the Lord and do the right thing. You say, oh, Brother Greg, you know, my kids growing up, uh, Drew, he'd get in line, and we've got some doctors in the church, and he'd say, oh, Dad, he, my dad makes more money than you ever thought about making. I'd say, Drew, what are, you, what are you referring to? Well, Dad, you only work on Sundays, and it takes four men to carry your offering. No, son, that's not quite what you have in your mind there. But we have been blessed. And when you think about God getting our attention, listen, folks, life is too short. Write this down. Get your pen out. Come on. Write it down. Brad, you ready? Life is too short. Repeat that. One, two, three. To complain about everything. And when it comes to the things of God, God didn't complain about the hearts of those that were worshiping. God just judged it. Said, I've given you every ample opportunity and your heart's still not in the right place. The Bible says in Amos chapter three, flip back to verses 13 through 15. Amos three. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. On the altars of worship. So the altar was a place of worship and sacrifice, but here's the deal. God refused to accept it. God refused to accept it. Here's the first thing I want you to write down this morning. God does not waver in his plan. He doesn't waver in his plan. The Bible says in verse 1, I will strike. I will strike. Judgment's coming. 
And judgment was going to come against man-made religion and ungodly priest. And now he was going to destroy it. You'll say, Brother Greg, that sounds harsh. Well, let me remind us this morning that God is a God of holiness and righteousness. And you just don't waltz into his presence and think we're something before an almighty God. If he wanted to, he could drive us to our knees in an instant and make us worship him. But he allows us to choose to do it. Let me tell you something. Real love is when you make the decision. I mean, think about, uh, let's see, I think somebody had a 30th anniversary tomorrow. And I better not use him since I'm not seeing him sit here by you. Is he on security? Okay. Could somebody ask him to step in here? Um, Ron asked Clint Lovely to step in here. Okay. Now, if, my pre- if I were growing up and my preacher said, would you step in here? I would think, what in the world? Okay, Clint. Clint, just stand there. Tracy, stand up. Clint, have you figured out what anniversary is yours tomorrow? What year is it? 30th, very good. Amen, give him a hand, give him a hand. Okay, what if, Tracy, stand back up. What if, what if Tracy and Clint came down in their day of marriage, their ceremony, and the preacher said, Tracy, are you sure? This is the one, and are you committing your life to him forever as husband and wife? What if Tracy's response to you would have been, I I think so. It was? Okay. Here's Here's what I'm using. Here's what I'm using. God wants us all in. Clint, you can go back to uh, security. Thank you for being a good sport. You too, Tracy. God wants us all in, not wavering, because his plan for us is unchanging and unwavering. God loves you more than anything. He loves you more than your spouse does. He loves you more than your parents do. God loves you more than your kids do. He loves them more than you do. He's got a plan. And I love the fact when you think about the plan of God, we can trust him because he gives us an unchanging word. I love that. You see, he was dealing with man-made religion. And I want to remind you this morning that in heaven, there'll be no denomination, there'll be no signs. No one will have any more ownership. We'll all have equal access with the Lord because of the cross, because of Jesus. So first of all, make sure you understand something. God loves you so much, he doesn't change. God loves us so much, he doesn't leave us the way we are. That's the good news of the gospel. But there's something else that takes place in verses 2 through 4. Or, or at, the end of, at the end of one. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away. And he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. 
Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the servant, I shall bite them. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not good. Number two, God does not let up in his pursuit. He doesn't let up in his pursuit. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness has fallen on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. God does not let up on his pursuit. And brothers and sisters, this morning, look at me, listen to me. God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. We just sang it. His goodness is running after me. God loves me so much, he's got the best in mind for me. He wants you to be saved in his pursuit. What, what does it mean to be saved? It means that you come to the point where you recognize you're a sinner. And that my sin separates me from God. And because of my sin, I'm separated from God. I'm not going to heaven. I'm lost. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in his pursuit. And he's pursuing you this morning. For some of you, it's to give your life to Christ. For some of you, you're on the church roll, but you're lost. What do you mean, Brother Greg? I was the guy. I was the guy. But I didn't have a relationship with Christ. You don't have to live another day running in fear of whether you're saved or not. It comes to a point of just surrendering. You see, for some of you, he's pursuing you to surrender. To surrender. Um, yesterday, I really don't think the church's prayer life is what it should be. I, I, I participated in a turkey shoot yesterday a foul shooting contest with my oldest grandson, Aiden, for their basketball program. I've never been more nervous in my life. I might as well have been standing at uh, Madison Square Garden on the, on the foul line. My, my insides were like shaking, and, and man, after it was over, we, we didn't win. Aiden says, Papa, you want to go buy a turkey and just take it home? And that entered my mind. That entered my mind. You know, I, I, was, I was pursuing a turkey when really I should be pursuing a God to be a good example for the grandson I took to a foul shoot contest. God's pursuing you. You might be here today and say, I've crossed the line of no return. If you're here and you're breathing, you haven't crossed that line. Bible talks about blasphemy being the unpardonable sin. I believe that's rejecting God, rejecting the Holy Spirit. And as long as you're alive, listen, 
you have breath, you have a heart to make that decision. But friends, I'm telling you, there's coming a day when old Brother Greg's heart's going to beat for its last time. And thank God he pursued me as a church member who was lost. You know, there's something else that takes place, and we see it in verses 5 through 10. And we recognize that God has an unfailing promise. He has an unfailing promise. The Lord God of hosts, who touches the earth and and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn, all of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. uh, He who builds his layers in the sky and has found the strata in the earth, who call for the waters of the sea, pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. The Lord of hosts is used often by Amos. The Lord of hosts means the Lord over the armies of heaven and the Lord over the armies of earth. And Amos is reminding us of this creator and the power and how easy it is to hold a low view of the power and the holiness of God. A.W. Tozer said, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of the thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. A.W. Tozer says, we think too little of God. We think too little of the one who holds the stars in his hand. So he, he, he goes back and reminds them of the greatness of God. If you look at verse 7, he reminds them of history. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me? O children of Israel, says the Lord, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? He's the God of history. He's the God of the future. He's the God of the past. He's the God who has a plan. And God's got a plan for your life got a plan for my life. I mean, we pretty much have gone from November to February overnight, have we not? I told told my dad when I talked to him yesterday, I said, this was a legitimate snow. This was real. And what God wants to do, listen, he wants something real in our lives to take place. People are looking for significance. People are looking for direction. Tomorrow morning when you get up for school or work or retired or whatever you are, listen, there is a purpose for our lives to live another day. And that's to glorify him in all that we do, in all that we say, to share hope with people that don't know Christ as Savior, to be on mission for the Lord wherever we go. We can make sure, we can can understand something, that God is faithful in his promise, and in his faithfulness, his passion is unmatched. It's unmatched. When you look at verses 11 through 15, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins. You see, when you look at the first part of chapter 9, it's all about judgment. It's all about judgment. And here we begin to move toward mercy. And grace. I will restore them. Look at the second half of verse 11 and repair its damages. I will raise it up, its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, 
that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes is him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it and I will bring back the captives of my people. You see, God always had a remnant. He always has a remnant. I mean, you may think that uh, good old America, God is down and out. But friend, I'm here to tell you that there is a faithful remnant this morning. There's a faithful remnant right here in this church. Preachers all over the country preaching the uncompromising gospel that Jesus still saves. Lives continue to be changed for the glory of God. 14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They also shall make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord. There's the promise. There's the promise. Now listen to me, Christian. Are we not grateful for grace and mercy? I am a sinner. Jesus died to pay a debt for me I could never pay myself. This, this passage says, I will restore. I will restore. From Babylonian captivity until now, there's no king ruling over the Jews. The nation of Israel has been restored. Let me tell you something. Jesus is king and he's coming back once and for all. He'll return and restore and repair and rebuild the kingdom that he's promised. Thank God for love and mercy. Thank God for goodness and grace. If you really want to show somebody what Jesus looks like in your life, ask God to give you a heart of compassion and mercy and grace. Ask God to help you see people as he sees us. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Be a grateful recipient for what you can do for others and praise him for it. Amos concludes this prophecy with hope and he says Israel shall be planted in Christ, protected as the Lord's sheep, provided for as his children and there's a permanent place called heaven for those who know him. And my prayer is that you do the same today. I said, Brother Greg, I don't have anything to, to offer. That's exactly where we begin. Wednesday night, we were in 2 Kings chapter 4, I believe it was. There's a story in that chapter about Elisha now being the king of Israel. The, the mantle has been given to him, now passed on. He saw Elijah go into heaven in a whirlwind. And now Elisha's the king. And there's a story about a lady who loses her husband. And uh, the family now is about out of everything. Elisha says, give me what you have. And she says, all we have is just a cup of oil. Elisha says, go to your neighbor's house and gather all the empty vessels you can find. No doubt she's thinking, what kind of crazy plan is this? This is all we've got. And if you recall the story, they quit pouring oil into the vessels, not because they were out of oil, but because they were out of empty vessels. 
Sat, uh, Wednesday night, I asked, may we come to church as empty vessels? Oh, I'm not saying, we, I'm, I'm not talking about a relationship with Christ. I'm just talking about when we come to worship, let's come expecting God to do something. And, and, and I want to be an empty vessel, Lord, and I want you to pour into me, and I want to receive this morning and hear a good word from the Lord. Uh, what happens is we come to church, folks, and we're not desperate. We're not, we're not empty. We, we act like we don't need filled. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the Christian life. And how sad would it be if God says, I can't do it, not because uh, I'm, I don't have the power, I can't do it because there aren't any empty vessels. Nobody desperate enough. Everybody thinks they're on spiritual cruise control. And that's my prayer for us today. I mean, how many of you prayed before you came to church today? How many of you said, God, help Brother Greg, help those that teach, help those that lead? How many of you prayed, God, would you just speak to my spirit today? And he'll do it. I'm telling you, he will come through. But you've got to be an empty vessel. I want you to bow your heads.